0: Deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. from the 43-yard line. Strikes it, hits it very high. His best punt inside the 5-yard line. Muffed! It's a loose ball scramble. It's ball rolling toward the end zone, and the Gators get the ball! It looks like it's going to be a Gators touchdown as Nick Washington got it and recovered the ball. It's a touchdown for the Gators! Harris takes the snap, rolls to his left, near the sideline, looks to fire the ball down the field for Callaway. He makes the catch and breaks the tackle, and he's going to take it in for a touchdown! Oh, my beautiful and catch! And the Gators score on a 66-yard touchdown pass play. Snap to Bouda. Bouda stepping up. Hit as he throws. The ball is out. Intercepted. Vernon Hargraves has the pick on a deflected ball at the 15-yard line. He bounces out to the left of the 10-yard line. Stiff arms his way to the 5 and out of bounds. Oh, my. What a great interception. And the Gators have their. And goal from the 16 right hash. Kelvin Taylor back in the game. And Taylor takes a handoff, trying to bounce it to the outside of the left. And he's at the 10 yard line. He's at the 5 yard line. He's going down in. And he's going to score the touchdown on a 16 yard run.
1: Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm Adam Schick. For the second straight year, Florida dominated Georgia on the strength of a punishing ground game and an airtight defense. But unlike last year, this skater squad still has all their goals in front of them heading into a homecoming date with Vanderbilt. In preparation for that, today we'll talk to DB Jalen Tabor about the bounce back performance for the secondary in Jacksonville, discuss the continued growth of the D-line with coach Chris Rumpf, and break down the stingy Vandy defense with Gator Zone's senior writer Scott Carter. Plus, stay with us until the end of today's show for a very special career retrospective with Gator legend Abby Wambach and our former coach Becky Burley. But first, it's homecoming week for the Gators, and that occasion has been commemorated over the years with many memorable games. We sat down with the voice of the Gators, Mick Hubert, and asked him which homecoming games have stood the test of time in his
0: mind. People always say they never forget their first of whatever it is, and so for me, the first homecoming uh, was in my initial season in 1989, and it was a memorable homecoming for a lot of reasons, one of which, we were playing New Mexico, and Emmett Smith was having a tremendous year, and on this particular day, Lee McGriff was unable to make the broadcast. He had another commitment, and so we brought in four different former Gators to serve as analysts, one per quarter, and so that was very interesting, and in the second quarter, Emmett Smith breaks off off a 72-yard touchdown run, and, uh, and the run made him the all-time Gator rushing leader in history at that time. But it was part of a huge day for Emmett Smith back in 1989. He ran for 316 yards in this game, 31 carries, three touchdowns, and yet the Gators kind of struggled and beat New Mexico 27-21 on a day that a guy rushed for 316. So I never forgot that one. Uh, the Gators, the previous year in 1988, had been shut out at homecoming by Auburn. You know they haven't been shut out at a game since. They hadn't lost a homecoming game from 1988 until 2010. So they had one uh, a tremendous streak of 21 straight homecoming victories. And then in 2010, uh, Mississippi State came in here. Dan Mullen it was an ugly game. Beat us 10 to 7. We we tried to kick a field goal uh, with just a couple of seconds left, and we missed. Could have tied the game, sent it to an overtime. We didn't, and we lost that particular game. That snapped the long homecoming win streak. And so that really kind of started here lately. uh, Nervous times on homecoming. Uh, After 21 years of never losing and never even thinking about losing, uh, losing that game in 2010. And then in 2011, uh, we played Vanderbilt, and although the game wasn't in doubt, the Gators only won by five 26-21 and then of course in 2012 <laughs> we beat Louisiana 27-20 when the final seconds of the game we had to block a punt and and return it for a score almost as time ran out to escape a defeat by Louisiana in that game And then obviously the last two years for the students who are in school right now they, they haven't had a whole lot of homecoming success because in 2013 Vandy comes in here and hadn't beaten the Gators forever beat Florida pretty good you know in a year that was not very good for florida and then of course last year was a tremendous uh, disappointment for everybody because that was the game that missouri beat the gators 42 to 13 with only 119 yards total in the game so as of recent times homecoming's been a rather tenuous one and yet before that it was uh, it was always a foregone conclusion the gators would win on homecoming and as you mentioned as part of that run
1: vanderbilt recently became a thorn in florida side on homecoming that was the first win they've had of the Gators in a really long time, but it doesn't mean they haven't played Florida really tough during
0: that stretch. They have. I think there's been about a half a dozen games in the last 24, so about 25% of the games where they've been within a touchdown. Everybody thinks that Vandy always plays the Gators tough, and eh, to a degree, I guess, you know one out of every four. When you look at the history of what Florida has done versus the SEC, that's not a bad percentage if you're Vanderbilt, to be in uh, one out of every four games with Florida by a touchdown. Uh, But the Gators have won a whole bunch of games. I think they've won 12 games, a half of the last 24 meetings, by three touchdowns or more, including some whopping margins. Uh, I I guess the one that probably comes to mind as the tenuous games would be in 1996, a year the Gators would win the national championship. But up there, they had kind of an off Saturday and, and won 28-21. They weren't very sharp in that game. There wasn't, wasn't many people in the stands. Most of them were Gator fans. But it was just one of those days where the, you know, the Gators were uh, so much better but, and they escaped the game. And I think that game probably as much as any uh, sticks in the long-time Gator fans' minds as a game that, oh, that's that's the way it is with Vanderbilt. Well, it's not always that way with Vanderbilt. Now, in 2005, Jay Cutler came in here and uh, still playing in the NFL today, and uh, he threw for a whole bunch of yards. I think he was 28 for 42, and they had Earl Bennett, who was an all-time leading receiver in, in SEC history for a while, and, and they take the Gators to overtime. I think it was double overtime, and we didn't seal it until Reggie Lewis had an interception. So those were uh, a couple of the close ones, and obviously we talked about Vandy beating, the Gators and finally snapping that long losing streak that they had but for the most part I never really subscribed to the fact that Vandy always plays the Gators tough yeah there have been a few of them but there's also been some games where the Gators have totally just routed Vandy
1: people see homecoming on the schedule and, and it may not mean a lot to them if they haven't been here for a long time been a part of this for a while what does homecoming mean to you
0: It's a historic part of college football. Every Saturday, the alumni come back, but this is designated as homecoming. So you'd like to think all those people come back and some others. Really, homecoming is is for the alums. I I know the the coaches who have been here, they've always thought, you know, you've got to kind of coach against the grain in this week. It's not a typical week from that standpoint. So we got to get our guys' attention. we got to get them focused. And I know for this coaching staff, that's probably a concern also because, uh, you know, the Gators have handled Vanderbilt a lot over the years and yet we're on the verge of an Eastern Division title, so they don't want to stub their toe against a Vanderbilt defense that's pretty good. So, I mean, obviously, when you're in this league, you make a mistake, you can get beat. So, I think it's, it's sometimes kind of a nightmare week for coaches to think we've got to have our players' attention, and that attention to detail in practice, how they practice Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, leading up to game time. And then this particular year, on this Saturday, when we're going to kick it off at noon, the Gators have not been in a noon kickoff. Now, they're going to have back-to-back noon kickoffs with Vandy and then the following week in South Carolina but that's something new also and so we'll see how the crowd reacts in the swamp I mean there have been some homecomings there was one in particular I remember when uh, Gator Growl had uh, a breakdown on the on the crew that was uh, getting the stadium ready and uh, they I guess some of them didn't show up and so as a result a lot of the people at the UAA were out there trying to construct the goalpost and get it all ready for a noon kickoff it was kind of dicey that's all a part of what's interesting about homecoming, and uh, hope the swamp will be rocking for a, for a noon kickoff this week. Hey, hey. Rivalries
1: often have an ebb and flow over time, and Florida Georgia has proven that throughout the decades. But while the two sides have now split the last six meetings, don't tell that to the sophomores at Florida who are now 2-0 against the Bulldogs and have crushed them in back-to-back years. It's no doubt significant to both players and fans, and sophomore Jalen Tabor says
2: that's not lost on him. I mean, it means a lot, not only to me, but to our fans, our coaches, the Gator Nation as a whole to say we could, for two years in a row, we just dominated the Georgia Bulldogs.
1: What do those rivalries mean to players? They obviously mean a lot to fans. How does it affect the way that you guys go out and perform?
2: It means just a little bit more when you play those rivalry games. So in practice, we'll go just a little bit harder knowing that the other team is going to come out regardless of the record, regardless of where they're at in the standings. And so it's going to be a big game regardless.
1: A lot of the other players talked about the disappointment following the performance at LSU and then going into the bye week. Were there any changes you felt like that were made in the secondary to really tighten things up the way that you did?
2: Um, no, we just came out with a, with a sharper focus. You know, LSU, we gave up some plays. You know, they hit us on a couple of plays. And we just wanted to be more focused and more detailed on what we was doing in the secondary. We came up with four picks, so we just buckled down. We had two weeks to prepare.
1: It seems like when the offense controls time possession, it makes a huge difference to what the defense is able to do. What about staying off the field for long periods of time allows you guys to go out there and and play your best?
2: I mean, that's big. You know, the offense, if they control the ball, we're not on the field, so we can't give up any points. But, you know, I got a little bored there in the second half. Defense got a little bored there in the second half just because they had the ball for so long. But, as good as defense as we are, we go out and get three and out, and our offense holds the ball for six, seven minutes. We're fresh, we're ready to get back on the field and go for another three and out. So, you know, football is a team game, and we all work together, offense, defense, special teams. If the offense holding the ball, that means the other team can't score, and if we get off the field, three and out, that means the offense has more opportunities to score.
1: You burst on the scene last year as a freshman and now have really come to your own as a sophomore. What do you feel like you've done to grow the most as a player?
2: Just maturity, just knowing that what's at stake and what has to get accomplished and what I have to do to play well and what I have to do to be successful on and off the field. So I come in 18 years old, true freshman from the inner city and just being able to grow up and mature.
1: When you go back and watch yourself on tape throughout this year, what areas do you still want to improve the most in?
2: Um, I would say I want to improve on my tackling. You know, I felt like I took a step back from last year. I felt like I was a pretty good tackler coming into the season. But, uh, you know, got away from it a little bit. Just got to play lower and focus on my tackling a little bit more.
1: You're the first Gator since Brandon Spikes to have two pick sixes in one year, and there's still time for more. What about that gets you energized? What does a pick six do for your confidence and for the defense?
2: Oh, I mean, that's what we talk about all day on defense. You know, just gives a ball. You know, at the end of the day, they can go down and drive 99 yards, but if they can't get in the end zone and we get the ball. They didn't really do anything. So we talk about that all day And the defensive staff from You know, Coach Collins does a good job of emphasis of just get the ball, no matter how it is, strip, sack, fumble, interception, tips. You can see a lot of our plays we made on Saturday was two tips. Not that the guy who caught the ball really had anything to do with it, but he was just being in the right place at the right time. So just a team defense.
1: You've been playing in the SEC for almost two full years now. Who are some of the toughest receivers that you've had to cover?
2: Ole Miss was part of the toughest group just because there's so many of them and they're very talented. So I would say Ole Miss would be the toughest group of receivers. Is there an
1: individual that stands out in particular?
2: I would say since I've been here, Treadwell has been the toughest receiver that I've guarded besides Demarcus Robinson in practice. So i say those two receivers, I'm glad I get to go against d Robin in practice and not in the game because it would be It'll be pretty tough going against him in the game.
1: What makes DeMarcus so difficult to cover in practice?
2: He's quick and fast. He's very body quick, so off the line, you really don't get a chance to put your hands on him. And then once he gets off the line, he's just as fast as he is quick. So that's what makes him pretty good, I think. You know, not a big frame, not a small frame, but quick and fast. It's hard to cover those guys.
1: Another player a lot of Gator fans have come to grow accustomed to is Antonio Callaway. Mm-hmm. And the plays Antonio has made have been obviously so significant. What have you seen from him when you've gone against him?
2: Um, he's just a very focused individual, very down-to-earth, very grounded individual. So when you meet him, it's like he's not going to say much. He's just about his work. So, you know, that's what I think is the biggest thing with him. Man, He's very talented, but he also knows what he got to do, and he's just about his work.
1: You mentioned growing up in the inner cities in Washington, D.C. What's been the biggest adjustment to living, playing, going to school here in Gainesville, Florida?
2: Really just having to do it all on my own. At home, you know, you got your parents, you got your coaches. They're going to make you go to school, they're going to make sure you're doing the right thing. Here, it's just you by yourself. I'm 12 hours away from home, and I really all, all I got is me, so just to make sure I'm on point with everything.
1: What do you do to make sure you're well-prepared and on schedule going into a homecoming weekend like this?
2: Continue to stay focused. Uh, Coach Mack has done a good job with that all year, just keeping us grounded, keeping us staying focused and not worrying about everything else, but just worrying about the 200 people that's in our program and what we got and what everybody has to do to get better. So we're just going to stay focused and stay motivated. and if we win this game that we can go to Atlanta. That's a goal for every team in the SEC is to win the SEC. You win the SEC, you put yourself in position. On a national scale to put in playoffs and all that stuff. So, this is just another step for us just to go out and win the East.
1: Coach Mack has talked a lot about preparing throughout the year for a noon game, for a night game with your scrimmages, with your practice. How important is that as a player to have experienced playing at that time of day, that schedule?
2: Um, It's very big. You know, Coach Mack told us last week we're trained for these type of moments. Everything we've done. We're trained for it. You know, we practice at night for those night games. We practice at 3.30 for those 3.30 games. And all our sprint work and all our drills that we do with Coach Kent is football specific. So we've been trained for every moment. And I'm just glad he has put an emphasis on being trained for certain moments and certain situations that come up.
1: Gator Growl is Friday night, which means a big concert. TI is going to be there. If you were putting together your own concert, give me at least three acts that would be on stage if, if you planned the concert.
2: oh, I would definitely have DC's own, Shaq Lizzie, Future, definitely future. I would have to say Rich Homie Kwan. I'll give you an entire music festival. Who else is going out there? Oh, Jay-Z, Lil Wayne. <laughs> you know, those the old heads that still could do some numbers in the game, so those five would definitely be in my concert.
1: The noon start time for the Vandy game has generated a lot of attention in the build-up to this weekend, especially among fans who have become accustomed to the late kickoffs throughout this season. Jeff Cardozo chatted with defensive line coach Chris Rumpf, who is among the few who are excited about the early start to game day.
3: Oh yeah, you know you just on Friday night you bed it down and get your good night's nice rest and you get up and it's bang 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 you play and then it's over with and just like you said instead of just waiting around till seven o'clock and watching all these ball games and stuff like that so. Now it's time for somebody to watch us, and um, we can have the afternoon off. Let's
4: talk a little bit about uh, the, the Georgia game. Obviously, it's a team that rushed for a lot of yards. You guys held them under 100. That doesn't happen a lot for them. What are some of the things you, you did well that you smiled at at the end of the game?
3: I, I thought we controlled the line of scrimmage up front. I think the um, guys up there did a great job of gap integrity. You know, being where they're supposed to be, everything was fitting. The linebackers came and fit in the right spots. The secondary, when there was, their number was called to fit the box, did a great job. And then also I thought we did a good job um, on the back end challenging those guys when they were throwing the ball as well. So it's a great day, um, and it was a great outcome for the gator fans.
4: And the neatest part about this is you guys statistically didn't get a lot of sacks, but obviously forced a lot of pressure on the quarterback. It led to some interceptions. So you can throw all that stuff out the window sometimes, and just uh, the end results and stats don't really show what what really happened. I never tell my guys, you know, I want them to get sacks and stuff. We always talk about, you know,
3: pushing and moving the pocket and, and, and changing up his launch points. And... And making him feel uncomfortable. And a couple of times we got there and made him feel uncomfortable, and he threw it to the wrong color jersey a few
4: times as well. You guys are having a lot of success. You're getting some attention nationally. Are these guys handling it pretty well? Just know what the job is to keep winning each week?
3: I think, uh, you know, Coach Mac is doing a great job of, you know, keeping a thermostat on the team and seeing, you know, how low and when they get too high to chop them down when they get too low to get them going. But I think it's a credit to our senior leadership on the team that's keeping the guys level headed and letting them know hey guys why are we here why are we having the success It's because we've been playing really good and we been taking care of our business and doing the little things so you have to remind those guys you know how we got there so I think the leadership along with coach Mack has done a great job
4: the last time we talked to you was about some of those guys starting to show the leadership to the younger guys and you know how have the, those younger guys grown up now you're getting more playing time you're rotating a lot of guys in and out Where, where's that progress friend?
3: Well, you know, these guys are starting to understand the process. They're starting to understand what it takes to be a big-time college football player. And a credit to the older guys, they've done a good job as well as showing them and not only showing them, leading them and taking them by the hand, You know, putting a foot up there behind if need be. Those guys have done a great job. And you know what? The freshmen and young guys, they've done a good job of listening.
4: Vandy's a team that, uh, when you look at them record-wise, maybe not the, the best thing in the world. But you look at their numbers, they've got a new coordinator. They're averaging about 100 yards better this year than they did last year. So there's some progress there. And they're probably in the same situation. You know, they're, they're going through the year getting better and better.
3: Oh no doubt, you know those guys done a really good job, and you know I know the record doesn't indicate some of the things they're doing, but you hit the nail on the head with the offense and new coordinator. He's come in there and uh, you know he's spreading the ball out and they're running a little zone read, and he's you know quarterbacks doing a good job of getting rid of the ball. So it's going to be a good challenge for us uh, to get after those guys and try to stop the things that they do well.
4: What are some of those things? What do you you guys need to do well to to stop that?
3: Uh, You know, first and foremost, it all starts with the run. We got to make sure that you know we're up front that we control the line of scrimmage and uh, we keep the, the offense linemen off the linebackers so they can run around and make plays and then when it gets to third down we got to get off the field you know we got to if we blitzing them you know make sure that we're blitzing the right place but if we're just playing zone it's just a 4 man rush and those four guys up front got to create pressure make this guy uncomfortable make him move
4: his feet How much have you seen these guys grow up from uh, really a month ago? You see them as they come off the field all the time and chomping at the bit to get out there and make some plays. What's been their development?
3: It's been awesome, man, just seeing those guys, just the way they're competing. That's the most important, the most exciting thing to me is the, the competition. You know, you see one guy make a play, the next guy say, I want to make a play. But the, the greatest thing about all that in making plays, they're, they're staying within the scheme on the foundation of the defense. Uh, and they're not trying to go outside of the defense and make plays. They're just, you know, hey, when it's my time, I'm going to make this play. Instead of just trying to go out and do something and be wild, and then all of a sudden give up a big play. So, love the competition, but also like them playing within the framework of the defense.
4: It's been over a month since you got to be out here in front of the uh, the home crowd. Got to be uh, fun to be back in the swamp again.
3: I know I'm about to figure out, you know, how <laughs> how, to, how to get to the, the, the field and which side I'm on. It's been so long, but it's going to be exciting, man, to get back here. Like you said, been a month. It's homecoming. Should be a crazy crowd. You know, we got a chance to do something great here, and just want everybody to come out, and support, and be as loud as you can. Florida
1: is in the driver's seat in the SCC East for a number of reasons, but first and foremost, it's because of the dominance of their defense. And while the Gators have been solid on that side of the ball for the last few years, Scott Carter says they have still managed
5: to surprise. You figured that was going to be the part of this team that would keep Florida in most games, and it certainly has worked out that way. Georgia was the third SEC opponent this season that they've held without a touchdown, but I think the big question mark was you know you knew the secondary was going to be pretty good, looked like the bodies up front were going to be good, but how would the linebackers be because they lost some people there, and there was a concern about Antonio Morris and how far was he back from the serious knee injury he suffered in the Birmingham Bowl, but Jim McElwain called those two guys him and Jared Davis the heart and soul of this defense and when you look at what they've done, it's hard to you know, argue with that. Those guys have been in the middle of so many just important plays or key drives where their names were called around the ball, and uh, I think that linebacker play has been a huge part of uh, why the Gators have been so successful defensively.
1: So because the win against Georgia, Florida now in an amazing position in the East, they can clinch with a win against Vanderbilt, and really if you look at where the Gators are overall, so much of it has to do with the way that Jim McElwain has affected the day-to-day operations of this program.
5: Yeah, he talks a lot at Adam about staying in the moment, not looking too far ahead. And he used the analogy the other night, when you look too far ahead, you run through the stop sign. And that's when you get blasted. And that's kind of the message that he basically blasted his team on a daily basis. To me, the biggest impact that I can see in his uh, first year, I mean, this team looks so much more confident than it has in the last few years. I mean, even when things have not necessarily gone right on the field, they've had some uh, critical moments. You're looking to see how they respond. They responded more often than not, you know, in a positive way. And that takes confidence in the you know, they're seven and one, five and one in the SEC. I mean, I don't know anybody who predicted that or really saw that coming. And to me that just speaks when a team is able to overcome some shortcomings talent wise or offensive personnel wise and still be in the position that they are. I mean that that speaks to coaching and guys buying in. And I think that's been the most important factor in where they are right now.
1: Now Vanderbilt comes to town for a noon game on homecoming. And you look at Vanderbilt's season and their numbers, and I think a lot of people might overlook that. But Jim McIlwain has been quick to
5: point out, this is a defense that stacks up with the best in the conference. Vandy checks in and up in the upper half of the defensive statistical categories in the league. And the problem is they just have struggled on offense. But the defense has kept them in a lot of games. That's probably going to be the calling card on Saturday if they have any opportunity to stay in this game. Giving up 18.5 points a game, which is uh, fifth in the conference. Rushing defense, they're fourth in the conference. Overall, they're sixth. And pass defense, they're sixth, just giving up a little more than 208 yards a game. So they're getting the job done on that side of the ball, and a lot of it is guys like Zach Cunningham, a linebacker, who leads them in total tackles and sacks. Secondary, Torin McGaster back there, Oren Burks at safety. Who, uh, those two guys have 15 pass breakups combined, so they're right near the top of the SEC in the individual categories. So they have some playmakers back there, and it's a to offense that doesn't necessarily uh, roll up yards and points. So there is an opportunity there for the Vanderbilt defense to keep this game close.
0: Watching his defenses in 2013, that whole season when he was at Stanford, you start to see some of those things are showing up on a regular basis uh, now through this season. And when you look at how they're ranked nationally, you know, 22nd in the country, I think it is defensively, really the one that stands out is people aren't scoring points. I mean, they're only giving up 18 a game, and, and they're really good in the red area. You know, we've got our work cut out for us.
1: It's interesting to hear Jim McIlwain talk about how they've prepared the team to play at midnight, noon, whatever have you. They've done things to prepare the team for every possible situation.
5: They really have, Adam, and that's something that this coaching staff and McIlwain did from the start of the season. Even the first three weeks of the season, they had night games, so... They were practicing night some um, to kind of acclimate. So uh, you do have to kind of get players and the body clock acclimated to an earlier scheduled start to the day because uh, not a lot of people just roll out of bed and ready to play a football game. So they'll make those adjustments, and really, to me, that's one of his strengths so far, the attention to detail and those little things, and I think the players have responded well to those. This
1: weekend is homecoming, which is appropriate because it's been over a month since last time Florida played inside the Swamp, and a lot has changed in that time. Kind of talk about that in terms of the big picture for Florida, how it's
5: changed, and where it can go from here. You know, the perception of this first uh, year of Jim McElwain has certainly uh, changed over the last month because of the success Florida's had, winning at Missouri, beating Georgia on Saturday over in Jacksonville, and even though they lost out at LSU, I think the way they played in the wake of losing Will Greer and so many distractions that week that could have really impacted the team. They, They went out to LSU, hostile environment, and you know, it was a game right until the end. I mean, Florida had the ball there on the final drive near midfield trying to make plays. So I think there were any questions about whether it was a fluke or the early start, the win against Tennessee, I think by now people have bought in, hey, this Florida team is pretty good. It starts with the defense, as we talked about earlier. The offense, you know, every week it looks a little different. And as long as they can make a few plays here and there, that's kind of been their calling card. And, and you know, this Vanderbilt team comes down, it doesn't take a lot of uh, jogging the mirror memory for Florida fans to remember a homecoming here in 2013 when Vanderbilt came down here and beat Florida. It's a a lot different Vanderbilt program, obviously. Derek Mason in his second year hasn't really been able to maintain the momentum that James Franklin built up before he went to Penn State. And you know Vanderbilt has kind of fallen back into that traditional spot in the bottom of the SECs. But Gators should uh, have a lot to play for on Saturday and shouldn't be distracted too much.
0: You know, the way they handle This week is really going to be interesting to me because we've got, obviously, with with homecoming, a ton of distractions uh, from the standpoint of people coming back, no school on Friday, you know, all that kind of stuff. To me, this is an opportunity to see how far we've come as an organization. It seems
1: appropriate enough that one of the all-time Gator greats returned to Gainesville during homecoming week as soccer superstar Abby Wambach spoke to thousands of students on Tuesday night at the Phillips Center. She's arguably the most accomplished athlete in the history of Florida athletics when you stack up her accomplishments. As a Gator, she won a national championship and claimed the school's all-time record for goals professionally she has won two olympic gold medals fifa's world player of the year is the all-time leading scorer in international men's and women's soccer and recently capped her career with a coveted world cup in the wake of her recent announcement that she'll retire in december we step back to look at her career as a whole with her former head coach and longtime friend becky burley here's what becky and abby had to say about her retirement what made her successful and what it means to go out on top
6: she's accomplished so much in her career and to go out on a high note and to be able to start another chapter in her life. Abby's always been about more than just soccer. So I'm sure she's pretty anxious to get that part of her life going.
7: I'm open to anything right now. I want to experience obviously things that I haven't been able to experience because of my profession whether it be snowboarding or traveling the world and not seeing just locker rooms and soccer fields but seeing real things and immersing myself in different cultures but then beyond that you know I want to keep affecting change not just in the sports world but beyond mm-hmm. and and that's something I'm really passionate about and just like the game evolved for me I didn't know when I came to the University of Florida that I was going to be able to have a a career that I've had, to be sitting here, how many years, 13 years later, giving a a talk to to the students and the people here at UF. And I had no idea, but I had, I, I organically let it evolve. And I think when you trust yourself and you work really hard and you sacrifice for things. Good things are bound to happen.
1: The idea of going out on top, I know for her, it was always getting that World Cup. So how satisfying was it for you, seeing her finally achieve that, and now getting to go out the way that she wanted to?
6: Well, I think what was really cool about that experience was that it was something she had just really publicly proclaimed that it was going to be really important to her, which takes a lot of courage because obviously there's a chance that that might not happen. And then the fact that she she had to play a different role than she anticipated. So like instead of putting the team on her shoulders in terms of playing, she had to put the team on her shoulders in terms of leadership. And I thought that was just remarkable to watch.
7: I knew fairly soon after the World Cup that my career was was likely to be done, and it wasn't because I wasn't playing. Uh, The last few years have been pretty grueling for me and on my body uh, and on my heart, and I'm a passion person. Becky Burley knows that. If I want to do it, I'll do it. (laughs) But if I don't, I I don't. don't. And, and that's who I am. And, and so, in my opinion, when the sacrifices start to outweigh the benefits of anything, you have to start questioning, well, why am I doing this? And what's really the thing that I'm after? And it was a World Cup championship, period. And when we got that, it's almost like I, I have nothing left to accomplish and prove on the field. And so now I have to let go of that one rung and live in the magic for a little while and figure out where I'm going to go and what I'm going to do until I grab on the to the other one.
1: What do you remember about the process of recruiting her?
6: Well I think the most important step in the whole recruiting process was one time her mom called me. We were somewhere away, I believe, and obviously we was before cell phone, so I can't even remember how she got me the message, but
1: telegraph or yeah, yeah, maybe maybe on. it
6: was, yeah. <laughs> she uh she said All right, Abby's got it down to two schools, and I think she's going to go with whoever calls her next, so you need to call her. (laughs) (laughs) So I called her, and I'm not sure that that was actually a fact that happened, but the actual, her making that decision off that phone call. But I just remember, um, I think the turning point might have been when we played North Carolina at North Carolina. We lost that game 5-0. And she was considering us in North Carolina. And I'm thinking, it's over for the Gators. But as we were leaving to get on the bus, we had to walk by their bench, obviously. And some of our players said hello to her. And I think the fact that they had interaction with her as they passed meant a lot to her, considering that we had just ended our season.
1: What was she like to coach, if you can again remember, to (laughs) back in the day?
6: Well, Abby enjoyed her college experience, so that had its challenges. (laughs) But at the same time, you know, you knew she was always going to show up and train hard and play hard and and compete hard, and there was no question about that.
7: I think that the Abby Wambach, when I was here, thought I was more mature than I was. I am the youngest of seven, so I always wanted to be older, and I always wanted to do what my brothers and sisters were doing. And so finally I got here, and I got away from my family and was able to explore about myself. I would say she was fairly, I guess the word would be careless in some, in some ways. I wasn't as professional maybe as I, I could have been, you know, looking back. But the University of Florida really did prepare me how to become a professional athlete. Mm-hmm. By far and away, the facilities, the coaching, the treatment of, of athletes here blew me away and it, and it gave me that added edge. So when I did transition into becoming a professional It was kind of a seamless transition.
1: Ultimately, what do you think made her so successful?
6: I think the fact that she just evolved. She looked at what the situation demanded and she was able to give that to the situation. So whether that was, you know, when she first got out of college and she started playing professionally and she stepped up her commitment level. And then when she became more of a leader on the national team, she recognized that it was about more than just her scoring goals. And then in this final World Cup where she was coming off the bench and not playing as big a role, she realized how important it was to support players from her role on the bench. And I just think that her involvement has shown her level to be a true leader, which is basically to make others around you better, and she has epitomized that.
7: I know that I'm passionate. I know that I am fearless, and I will go into, into the box and try to score goals as much as I can. But I think for for my teammates, kind of the way in which I approached the game itself and how important teamwork and teammanship was to me. I would say definitely uh, my career, I was fearless in in a lot of ways. That doesn't mean I was without fear because it's sometimes, you know, life happens and things are hard and you have to work through stuff, whether it's an injury or you're not playing well, whatever. I'd say passion, fearlessness, and loyalty. I think that those are three words that I hope my teammates would say about me in terms of my legacy.
1: And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to Gator Tales on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher to make sure you don't miss a single episode. And please give us a review to help Gator Tales continue to grow. Don't forget to catch the Gators when they take on Vanderbilt Saturday at noon, live on ESPN and the Gator IMG Sports Network. A win puts Florida in the SEC title game for the first time since 2009. Our next podcast will be available next Thursday and will preview the Gators' final road test of the year at South Carolina. We thank you again for tuning in Gator Tales and hope you have a great homecoming weekend. Until next time, I'm Adam Schick. Let the Gator growl.